There is an unseen hand to me that leads Welcome to the Unseen Hand Podcast, featuring the pulpit ministry of missionary evangelist Ronnie Brown. Listen in as Brother Ronnie shares the truth of the Bible and how God's unseen hand can lead and guide your life with each and every verse. This hand still leads me as I go. Well, you have your Bibles, I want you to turn them to Exodus chapter number 30. Exodus chapter number 30. What a blessing that song was, Miss Linda. Thank you for it. Exodus chapter number 30. Now, on Sunday nights, although we took a detour last week, we have been studying the tabernacle and uh, studying the individual parts. We, we looked at the tabernacle as a whole. We looked at the, the, the wall or the courtyard, the fence around the tabernacle. We looked at it. We spent some time at the gate and the altar. And then we looked at the utensils of the altar. And tonight we're going to move past that altar into the brazen laver. And so if you have your Bibles, Exodus 30 and look at verse number 17. Exodus 30 and verse number 17. Let's all stand out of honor and reverence of God's Word. Exodus 30 and verse number 17. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Thou shalt also make a laver of brass and his foot also of brass to wash withal. And thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, that, and thou shalt put, with, uh, put water therein. For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet thereat. When they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with water that they die not. Or when they come near to the altar to minister to the burnt offerings, make made of fire unto the Lord. So shall, so shall, so they shall wash their hands and their feet that they die not. And it shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his seed throughout their generations. You can be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And we want to take a close examination of the brazen laver, the next article of furniture in the tabernacle. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you uh, that so many times you bring things in our lives to draw us closer to you, Father. And God, those storms oftentimes bring us face to face with our Savior. Show us faith we had, we did not know that we had, Father. God, I thank you for that. Father, we pray as we, as we look into this brazen labor, you would show us a lesson on cleansing, on our need to be cleansed, and how we can be cleansed by your word. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would make application as we take the, sh- take the shadows and the types and the figures seen in a tabernacle and apply them to the life of the believer. Father, I pray you'd give us wisdom as we take your word and begin to investigate it and draw from different areas of the scripture. God, I pray you'd keep us in line. Let us not say anything or divulge from what you have revealed in your word. God, we'll give you glory for whatever you do tonight. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. We have a story about a little four-year-old boy uh, this afternoon. Every Every other night, uh, he had a terrible time with his mother taking a bath. 
He refused, staunchly refused to take a bath without a fight. He didn't want to have anything to do with that soap, anything to do with that water. I'm sure some of you can identify with that. Oh, those little boys don't like to get in that water, don't like to get in that tub. One day his mother said in exasperation, she said, son, surely you want to be clean, don't you? The little boy said, yes. Through his tears he said, but can't you just dust me off? (laughs) Well, understanding that we have to keep our bodies clean is a part of growing up. It's a part of maturity. As a matter of fact, little children, uh, you know, they're just free as a bird uh, without a care in the world. And they can run all over the place with chocolate coming out of their mouth and or, or icing all over their fingers and not think a thing about it. But when it comes to us adults, oh man, we get a little mustard in the corner of our mouth. We got to get that off. You see, cleanliness comes with maturity. And you take a child, and they wouldn't take a little two or three year old boy. They got a, a lollipop in their mouth. They drop that on the ground. They wouldn't think nothing of picking it up with all the grit and grime on it and popping that sucker right back in the mouth. Well, the thing of it is, is as we grow and mature, we become more and more aware of these things and we will quickly clean the slightest bit of filth off our faces and hands. Here in our, here in our tabernacle scene, outside the tabernacle proper, it can be a dirty, dirty scene. I mean, there's sand all over the floor on the outside in the courtyard. There's blood that can get from the sacrifices all over our hands. There's soot from the ashes of the burning that can get all over our faces. It can be a dirty place. But there are, uh, there are some accumulated defilements that we have in this world as believers. Let's cross over into our lives. As we walk through this world, as we go through our day-to-day lives, there are things that defile, that can accumulate on our lives, and we have to deal with these every day. Now the priest, as he got the soot on his face and the blood on his hands, the sand on his feet, God gave them a laver, a place where they could get clean. As we saw in our text, if they're going to go on with God, if they're going to go any further than what they're doing right now, they've got to be clean. God said, lest ye die. (laughs) So that you don't die, you need to stay clean. Well, the same can be truth in the truth in the life of a believer. I'm sure that all of you have had that unsettling realization not long after you got saved that you're still well capable of sinning. How many of you know that? I'll never forget one instance of that. Not long after I got saved, I had a vile, blasphemous mouth and readily used some of the most vile curse words. And I'll never forget, I was at practice. I got back from that spring break. I think I was saved right after that, or right during that spring break on the way back. I went to practice the next day and I shot it. And man, I just laid a brick. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Boy, it was awful. It was ugly. I was hoping nobody else would see it. And right there I said, Blankety blank, and I caught myself. I mean, a, a conviction come over me, the realization that I was still capable of the vilest of sins came upon me. And I'm sure you can identify with that. 
But just as the priest had a remedy for defilement at the labor, so we have a cleansing of our sin. We have a labor. We have a place that we can go and cleanse ourselves. And that's what I want to bring in comparison tonight. This article of furniture in the tabernacle called the labor, I want us to see... uh, to draw four applicable comparisons between the cleansing in the life of a priest and the cleansing in the life of a child of God. Four applications and we'll be done. I want you to see the first of this. I know you're tired of four-point outlines and I try my best. I don't know. Some people think that their scriptures just fall naturally in three points. I think they come in fours. Amen. I haven't gotten to where I just like fours. But anyway, I want to give four points of application. The first thing of this, I want you to see the construction of the labor. Now, if we're going to understand the labor, we need to learn something about its construction. Exodus chapter number 30 and look at verse number 18. Thou shalt make a labor of brass and his foot also of brass to wash withal. And thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, and thou shalt put water therein. It's interesting to note that compared to the other tabernacle furnishings, there is very little description of the design of the labor. We understand there's a top part and a bottom part, but that's basically it. You remember when we studied the altar? It was so many cubits by so many cubits by so many cubits. And you'll put horns on it and you'll do this and you'll do that. And all, and we'll find elaborate design plans and all the rest of the furnishings. But this labor is a bit of a mystery. We, we really don't even for sure know what it looks like. And again, I meant to make a photocopy. And uh, and I did not do it, so you'll have to guess, all right? But I meant to make a photocopy of what people think it looks like. But first of all, I want you to see the design of the labor in this construction of it. Notice, first of all, now, although we're told little about the labor and its design, we do know a few things about uh, what the labor is to do or what it is to be, what it's designed for. Now, the first thing I want you to see is the word labor. The word labor indicates something around. Something that is actually has a, 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 what is it, a bored out portion to it. Think of a large bowl, a pot, or a pan. That's what it's referring to as a laver. Now we don't really know its design. Uh, some seem to think that there was a bowl on top and a bowl on the bottom, on the pedestal. One side to wash the hands, an upper part, one side to wash the feet. God's very particular about the revealing of flesh in His tabernacle. If you'll remember, I think we talked about it when we talked about the altar, how that there was supposed to be an even ramp up to the altar so that they wouldn't walk up steps and reveal the flesh. Many think that this labor was fairly low to the ground so that no flesh would be exposed. And they could take their feet and they could wash them in the bottom portion and they could take their hands and wash them in the top portion. Of of the the but there's a little bit of a mystery. It's a mystery to there's a little bit of mystery there. I was listening to Dr. Jerry Vines preaching on uh, this labor, and he talked about how that I, you know I'll go ahead and say it right now. The labor is a picture of God's word of the word of God, and 
And uh, uh, Dr. Vines started talking about this mystery of the labor. And we don't know a whole lot about it, where it came from, what it looked like. What There's about a mystery surrounding it. You realize there's a mystery that surrounds your Bible? A mystery that surrounds your Bible? It, you know, the Word of God is pictured as something to cleanse us. Psalm 119 verse 9, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy Word. You want to cleanse your life? You can find it in the Word of God. This Bible is our labor. But when we talk about this labor, there's much of a mystery surrounding it. You know, there's much of a mystery surrounded by the book called the Bible. How many, how could God take fallible, errant men capable of sin and by His Spirit breathe upon them to produce an infallible book? I don't know. It's a mystery, but God has done it. He has made an infallible book. What about the mystery of its, its, uh, its longevity? And it, not only its infallibility, but its longevity. Longevity. You realize that there have been men throughout history who have made it their life endeavor to stamp out the Word of God, to burn as many copies as it can, to snuff it out, to stop its progression, stop its uh, its uh, 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 transference, its spreading, and yet the Word of God goes on and goes on and goes on and goes on. Dr. Vines talked about how that how that the average lifespan of a book, if it's a, if it, it's it's good, if a lifespan of a book goes five years before it's forgotten about. The Bible has been around for ages and ages and ages and yet it still is one of the most printed books, the most dispersed books, the one of the most sold books in all the world. The Bible's longevity is a mystery. Also the Bible's application is a mystery. How this book speaks to the educated and the uneducated. To the doctor and the ditch digger as I talked about this morning. This book speaks to so many. I could sit here, one preacher, one book, one passage of Scripture, I can preach the Word, and there'll be 15 applications of God's Word in our life. God will speak to 15 and 20 different people individually about their specific needs and their life, and they'll all be addressed by one book. Its application is a mystery. The design of the labor is a mystery. Notice also, not only the design of the labor, but I want you to see the designation of the labor. Notice where it was designated to be, the latter part of verse 18. And thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, and thou shalt put water therein. The labor was designated to be placed between the altar and the tabernacle proper. If you were going into that tabernacle proper, which means that that tent, of it set in the middle that contained even more furnishings in the very presence of God. If you were going from the gate, you would pass by the altar, and the next thing that would be in your path before you could ever go inside would be the laver, the, bra- the brazen laver. It indicates that if we're going to go on with God in fellowship, we have to deal with sin in our lives. Remember what I told you? You're walking through a wicked world. You're surrounded by the images of this world day in and day out. You've got a rotten dead man inside of you that still has a draw, that still has a pull towards sin. Sin's still a part of our lives that needs to be dealt with. Just like those priests working day in and day out, they get soot on their face, blood on their hands, sand on their feet. It has to be dealt with. 
And the designation of the laver is to indicate that God has provided a place for us to deal with sin. Has to be dealt with. Listen. If we're going to have fellowship with God, first of all, sin has to be dealt with at the altar. That deals with, uh, with the, with the penalty of sin. But when we go on from there, we see the, the, uh, uh, the per, uh, uh, perpetuation of sin. How did sin goes on in our lives? That's dealt with at the brazen labor. Leviticus 11.44 says, God says, For I am the Lord your God, that ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and ye shall be holy, for I am holy. God wants us to deal with sin. Exodus 38.8 tells about a little bit about the designation of this brazen labor. It says in verse Exodus 38.8 that He made the labor of brass and the foot thereof of brass of the looking glasses of the women. That gives us some of the details of the labor. The details of the labor. Now, the labor was made from these polished, uh, these polished looking glasses. Now, when he says looking glass, he's not talking about glass like our windows. He's talking about a polished, highly polished piece of metal. You know, when they play in the band, uh, and they, I played the trumpet in the band for three months and then I bailed on it. I couldn't do it. I could sit up in a tree and, and blow it really loud, but that's all I could do. Amen. I love to hear it bounce off the mountains. But, but I could take that, I could take that brass trumpet and I could see a reflection of my own face in that trumpet. That's what it's talking about. All of these women, when they left, uh, uh, many of these women, when they left Egypt's land, they took with them their looking glasses, their uh, something they could hold up and see their appearance. Well, all of these ladies came together and they brought, I know it'd be hard for you ladies, amen, to take your mirrors and give them to the church, but they brought their looking glasses together, they pulled them together, and they made this labor. And so the point was that the alloys would be such that they could polish this labor to be bright, and to be able to see their own reflection in it. You see, the priests looked into the labor and they would see themselves. They would see who they are and they would wash accordingly. You know, the Word of God is the same way. James 1, 23 and 25 says, If any man be a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. And he beholdeth himself and go his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh in the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed. What is James talking about? Somebody that takes and looks into God's word and reads God's word and realizes who they are, what place they are, how they stand against God's Word. The labor is a picture of God's Word. The construction of the labor we see there. Notice second of all, the consecration of the labor. Look at verse number 19. Notice who's pinpointed here. For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet thereat. Who is referred to here that's going to make use of this labor? Well, it's Aaron. Aaron representing that priestly line of Aaron. Just a few weeks ago, now you remember when we came to that gate and that altar, how that we were an apprehensive sinner. We had broken God's law. We were guilty and we came with a sacrifice and that sacrifice was burned on the altar. But here it says only the priest can use the labor. 
What's going on? But I want you to see, first of all, the consecration as priest. What's going on here? How do we get from penitent sinner to priestly servant? How do we get from conviction to consecration? Oh, I think our old song says it right. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. Here is an illustration of one of the most precious doctrines in the New Testament. The priesthood of the believer. We have placed our faith in trust. Everyone, if you're here tonight and you're saved by God's grace and you've placed your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are not only a believer, but you are a priest as well. We are believer priests. Listen to these scriptures that make that clear. First Peter 2, 5. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. First Peter 2, 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Revelation 1, 5 and 6, Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, washed us from our sins in his own blood, hath made of both, hath made of kings and priests unto God and his Father. We are a people of priests. When you came by that altar, and you came to the Lord Jesus Christ, and you, as a, as an apprehensive sinner, Offer that sacrifice. Put your hand on Calvary's cross and said it was my sin. That's the reason Jesus died. I take Him as my Savior. Bang! You are born into the priestly line. You become a priest. You can go on beyond that altar. You can go beyond that altar there in the courtyard. We see the consecration uh, as priests. But I want you to see also, we see the consecration in purpose. Now we become priests for a specific purpose. Many of those scriptures talked about it. That we might give sacrifices. That we might worship God with spiritual sacrifices. That we may offer spiritual sacrifices. For example, Romans 12.1, it tells us that we are to offer our bodies a living sacrifice. You realize every day that you set yourself aside as being used of God. I am God's child. Satan's not going to use me. I'm going to be used of God. My life is given completely over to you. I want you to use me, God. Do you realize you're making a spiritual sacrifice? Just like the priest taking over an animal and putting it on that altar, you are offering yourself. We are to offer our bodies. Philippians 2.17 says that our faith is a sacrifice to be offered upon the altar. Do you realize that your faith, your trust in God, is a sweet-smelling savor unto Jehovah? <laughs> that when you, when you trust God in the area of your job, of your place of work, of your children, of your family, of your wife or your husband, when you place your trust in God that He will care for them, that He'll take care of you, that He'll meet your needs, that He'll provide for your means. Oh, listen, you are giving an offering of sacrifice unto God, which is your faith. Philippians goes on to say in verse four, chapter 418, that our monetary giving is a sacrifice unto God. Matter of fact, that passage of Scripture says that it is a sweet-smelling savor unto God. Yeah, I'm going to talk about money a little bit. 
Listen, when you write a check and put it in an offering plate, it's more than just you paying your tithe or this and that. You're like a priest. <laughs> You're a priest. You are offering a sacrifice unto God. You see, that's why I think it's wrong just to tip God a buck or two every now and then and toss in this and that. Listen, it is to be a sacrifice unto God. Sacrifices always cost something. And so it was a sacrifice unto God. Also, Hebrews 13, 15, and 16, our singing and praising God is a sacrifice to God. Do you realize that? That when you sing and when you make melody from your mouth and you sing unto the Lord, do you realize that you're offering up a sacrifice to God? Just as much as your offering goes in the offering plate, just as much as your body's given to the Lord day in and day out to do His will, to do His bidding, just as, just as though your faith is a sacrifice to God, when you lift up your voice and sing and praise the Lord, when you lift your hands to heaven and say, thank God He saved me, thank God he, He's uh, provided for me, He's met my needs, He's answered my prayers, and you give praise unto God, that is a sacrifice unto God, a spiritual sacrifice unto Him. You see, we've been set apart. We've been consecrated and sanctified to fill a role of a priest. But it all comes to a screeching halt without the cleansing of the labor. Now notice what he said in verse number 20. They'll go, when they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with water. That they die not. You cannot go any further in your relationship with God until sin is dealt with. Accumulated sin. The daily sins that come into our life. The things that uh, bother us and the, the things our flesh is prone to drawn to. The, the things the world implements and tempts us with and we succumb to. Those must be dealt with. We've seen the construction of the labor. We've seen the consecration by the labor set these priests apart. Third of all, I want you to see the cleansing in the labor. The cleansing in the labor. Now the whole point of this labor was for the cleansing of the priests. If they were going to function in their role as priests, they had to be cleansed. They had to be cleansed. Now I want you to notice first of all in this cleansing of the labor, I want you to see the requirement of cleansing. Imagine you're, imagine you're a priest that day. I, I, can, I couldn't get over this as I, I thought about it in my study. I can, I can think of a priest and he's, he's slashing those sacrifices and blood is getting all blood on his hands and on his feet. He takes those shovels and gets down there with those coals and some of the ashes gets on his face and his hands. He dumps them in those pans. He takes them out to the camp. He's in there working. There's sand all over his feet. It's the heat of the day. He is sweating. He is nasty. He has become uh, dirty. I'm thinking about what phrase he might be running over in his mind. As he goes about in the service of the Lord, I wonder if in the back of his mind he heard these words, that they die not. That they die not. I wonder if as he went around and does these services and does these things and works at this, I wonder if that's always a question in his mind. Am I clean? Am I clean? Hey listen, when it comes to life and death situation, I bet you'd think about am I clean? Am I right with God? Have I been cleansed? Did I go over to the labor like I should? Did I cleanse my feet? Did I wash my hands? Did I take care of my, my sin? Did I take care of my defilement? 
didn't matter how good they were at the sacrificing, how thorough they were at the inspection, how sincere they were in offering the incense. The question is, am I clean? Am I clean? Doesn't matter how good they were at separating out that sacrifice. Doesn't matter how good they were at shoveling up those ashes or stoking that fire or carrying those uh, those vessels or using those implements. It all mattered is, am I clean? Oh, what a what an impact that would be in all of our lives. We live in a cesspool of sin in this world, day in and day out. The world around us, the flesh within us, we are bound to get dirty. Do we really wonder? Do we really stop in the day while we were doing whatever we do for the Lord and ask, am I clean? Before I teach my Sunday school class, am I clean? Before I enter the house of God and begin to come in and worship God, am I clean? Before I sit down in my devotion and begin to open the Word of God and ask God to, to, to do something in my life, to speak to me, do I ever question, am I clean? Am I clean? I don't know about you, but that hit me between the eyeballs back there in my study. Am I clean? When I go into my workplace and I face this world and give a witness for Christ, am I clean? When I go about and do my work as unto the Lord, am I clean? It ought to be on our mind more than it is. That's why we got so many dirty Christians. That's why we got so many Christians that are out on the fringe all the time when it comes to the righteousness of their life. They don't ask the question, am I clean? Am I clean? I'm sure that priest thought of it all the time. It was a life and death situation in his mind. Am I clean? Our service can be ineffective if we're not clean. First John tells us that if we're, if we're dirty, First John tells us that there is a sin unto death. You know, we want to spiritualize that and say, well, you know, he said, lest you die. And, and I've, I've listened to a couple of preachers preach on this and they'll say, well, we'll just be ineffective in our work. And I, I believe that if we have sin in our lives and we don't deal with it, I believe we become ineffective. But John, First John tells us there's a sin unto death. There's a sin and point in which God will take you home. You'll be a disgrace to the priesthood. You can't function in this courtyard. You can't function with these things. It's got to be dealt with. Oh, listen. It is the requirement of cleansing. You see, why don't, listen, why don't you get clean tonight? Amen, brother Ronnie. Why don't y'all get, why don't you get clean tonight? Why don't I get clean tonight? Why don't we just come down to this altar at the end of this service and say, God, make me clean. God, put that question in my mind all the time. Make me clean. Am I clean? Am I confessed? Did I wrong the Lord? Have I sinned? Oh, God, make it manifest in my own mind. Let me see what I've done. Why not, why not tomorrow start living, uh, start daily going over the labor of God's Word and say, Lord, make me clean. John 15, 3, Jesus said, Ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. John 17, 17, Sanctify them by their truth. Thy word is truth. Oh, listen, every morning we ought to go searching for God's word and say, God, make me clean. If I'll just get my eyeballs on this word and start reading it and start meditating on it and start seeking the face of God, He said He'll clean us through His word. His Word will clean us. His Word will make us right with God. The requirement of cleansing. But also not only the requirement of cleansing, but the regularity of cleansing. 
Now, from what I can understand in the study of the Scriptures, there was only one time a year in which someone did a full body washing at the laver. And that was the high priest on the Day of Atonement. That was part of what he would do before he would go into that one time a year in the most holy place and sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. He would cleanse his whole body with all. Every part of him was cleansed on the outside at one time of year. That is a picture of our first time cleansing of salvation. Remember why he had to do it every year? Because the blood of bulls and goats cannot forgive sin. It was a Passover from one year to the next. It only put a band-aid on the problem until Jesus came. But when we come to the Lord Jesus and we're saved by the grace of God, we have that one cleansing all over. What does I think Titus said? But by His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. We have been washed, cleansed, made right with God when we, on the day of our salvation. But this, there is a flesh within us. There is a daily service that we go into and where we only are required to wash the hands and the feet. Look at our verses here. When they go into the tabernacle, they shall wash with water that they don't die. And uh, where they talk. Oh, oh, listen. Verse number 19. And Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet. Didn't want them to take a whole body bath. He just said, you need to clean your hands and you need to clean your feet. That's all that God required. That's all that needed to be taken care of. I remember Jesus in John chapter number 13. You remember that scene? It was one of those upper room scenes where Jesus was given some of His final words. Jesus took a towel and gird Himself about, took a basin, and He began to go one by one and wash the feet of the disciples. Do you remember that scene? Everybody raise your hand. You remember that scene? Where Jesus was washing the feet of the disciples and He comes to Peter. Of course, Peter's got to be different. Peter said, oh no! You're not going to wash my feet. No, sir. Uh-uh. I wash yours. Or I, I, listen, I'm not worthy for you to wash my feet. Jesus says something strange to him. He said, if you don't let me allow, don't allow me to wash your feet, you not have no, you'd have no part with me. Oh, then Peter said, he goes from one extreme to the other, like a lot of us. One extreme to the other. Oh, Jesus, wash me all over. Wash me thoroughly. Wash every part of me. And what does Jesus say? What does Jesus say when it comes to that point? He said in John 13, 10, He that is washed, that means washed all over. That's a specific word in the Greek that means to wash all over, to take a complete bath. Needeth not, needeth not save to wash, and that wash is only hands and feet. His feet, but is clean every whit. You are clean, but not all. He was referring to the betrayer, Judas. But notice what he said. He said, you've already had a washing. You've already had a complete washing. All you need to do is clean your hands and feet. And that was the, that was the custom in that day. The roads were dusty. The roads were uh, filthy with animals and all that. And they would come into a house and a servant would come in and he wouldn't give them a whole bath. He just washed their feet and their hands. Boy, that's, that's, that's good for us, isn't it? That we don't need, we don't have to get saved all over again. We don't have to be washed all over again. We just need to daily. Get our hands clean, which indicates our service, and get our get our feet clean, which means our walk with the Lord. We need to have those parts. That's the regularity of this cleansing. 
What do we, what do we find other, in God's Word? James 4, 8. He said to draw nigh to God and He'll draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Ephesians 5, 26. That ye might be sanctified and cleansed with the washing of the water of the Word. 1 Corinthians 11, 31 and 32. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. And when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned by the world. You see, we are to come in and we are to confess our sins daily in order to be in communion with God. We read God's Word. We measure ourselves by it. We see where we don't measure up and we confess that. We make it right with God. We cleanse our hands and our feet. We're not saved all over again. We merely take care of our hands and our feet. One author said this, The Word of God appropriated and properly applied prevents us from falling into sin and keeps us in our walk before the Lord and makes out fellowship, uh, makes our fellowship sweet with Him. Boy, that's a good statement. If we'll stay in God's Word, if we'll meditate on it, if we'll pray over it and see God's face about it and peer into the labor of God's Word, see who we really are, let God hold a mirror to our face and show our, uh, show our places where we're inept and we're unable and we're deficient, then God, we can have fellowship with God and walk with Him. This leads us to the last point. Not only have we seen the construction of the labor, the con- consecration of the labor, we're priests now. We're consecrated, separated as priests. The cleansing of the labor, getting into God's Word, applying it to our lives, we can be cleansed. Finally, the consent of the labor. It'll be very, very brief. After the visit to the labor, then we have the consent of God to continue on. We can go back to service. We can go back to the altar and continue with the sacrifice. We can even go into the tabernacle proper and offer incense unto God and go uh, to the lampstand and tend to it and go to the table of showbread and tend to it, but only after we've been to the laver. You see, the greatest privilege we have as believers is to have direct fellowship with God Almighty. Hebrews 10, 19-22 Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by new and living way, which He has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, through His flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart of in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled of, of an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water greatest privilege we have you know that old testament veil that we'll study about all it said was i'm holy you're sinful you stay out now by the blood of jesus and the cleansing of his word we're invited to come in and fellowship with him that's what hebrews is telling us by new and living way by the new covenant we can come into the holy of holies we can come into the most holy place and fellowship with the living god David summed it up best in the psalm. Psalm 24, 3-5. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in His holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul to vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. Oh, we can wash our hands. We can cleanse our hearts at the labor of God's Word. Is God's Word a daily part of your life? It needs to be. 
If you're going to be used in God's service to offer up spiritual sacrifices unto God, to see our light shine in this world, to bring a sacrifice of a lost sinner to Jesus Christ, we've got to be in God's Word. If you're going to be a great Sunday school teacher that can penetrate into the hearts of our children, you have to be in God's Word. If I'm going to be the preacher that will help this congregation, that will help meet your needs, that God will use mightily in your life for the glory of God, I've got to be in God's Word. Every one of us, every one of us need that labor. Cleanse our feet, cleanse our hands. Not only a consent in fellowship, but a consent in workmanship. When that priest leaves that labor, labor with the clean hands, he has God's consent to engage in service for him. That he may offer untainted spiritual sacrifices to God. Sacrifices without mixture. I was thinking about as I wrote that, talking about how that, that there was to be no leaven. Uh, it's supposed to be a pure sacrifice. Leaven's always a picture of sin. God wants that which is pure, unleavened, untouched, unmixed. Oh, that's what God wants in our lives. He doesn't want our sacrifices to be mixed with a measure of deceitfulness and sin and lust. He wants it to be pure to Him. And how do we make it pure? Brother Ronnie, I can't be made pure. I'm, I'm, I'm rotten to the core. I've still got problems. I still mess up. That's fine. There's a labor for that. You can come to the labor, First John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Oh, sacrifices that are without mixture. Sacrifices that are accepted and not refused. In closing, I read this quote. Listen to this very closely. The Christian can be kept clean in walk and in service only as he applies the Word of God to his daily life, walking according to its rule and surrendering to its demands. Walking according to its rule and surrendering to its demands. Oh, listen, I know when you read that Bible, there are some things that say, "Uh uh-uh. Oh, man, that hurts. That rubs the wrong way. The only way we can walk in clean fellowship with God is if we surrender ourselves to that Word. Water does you no good if you don't get your hands in it. That priest can stare at that water all day long and it never cleans him. He can see how dirty he is. He can see how filthy he is all day long. But if he does not take his hands and place them in that water, he'll never be clean. You can read this Bible and check your little checklist and say I did my part. I did what the preacher said. But you never think about it. You never apply it. You never ask God, where does this go in my life? How can I live up to it? Will you help me do it? That's getting your hands in the water. Listen, if you're just going to do a checklist and read the Bible and do a little read the Bible through in a year, which I'm all for that, but if that's all you're going to do and not think about what you read and not chew on it and not meditate on it and not say, I surrender to it, it does you no good. It's like a priest staring at the water and it'll never cleanse him unless he gets his hands and feet in it. Let's all stand as we come to a moment of invitation. Elvis, if you'd come bring us a song of invitation. I wonder, I wonder, are you dirty? Probably the one next to you would be the one that will be able to tell you that by now. But I, what I'm talking about is, are you dirty spiritually? Do you have the sins 
of the sands of this world on your feet. Sand, uh, sand so easily collected like gossip, backbiting, murmuring. Do you have the blood of your, on your hands like pride and lust and sensuality and deceitfulness and guile? Do you have the soot on your face of lying and stealing? Oh, listen. Come, cleanse yourself, ye sinners. Cleanse yourself. Uh, be of one mind, ye double-minded. Come to Jesus. Take the water that's been given out tonight and come down here and cleanse your hands and your feet. That you might lift your hands unto a holy God with a sacrifice that's acceptable. That you might walk the path that God has intended for you to live without a mixture of sin. You need to get something straight with the Lord. Message like this. Oh, Brother Ronnie, I can't come to that altar because everybody will wonder what I did. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll beat you to it. I'll be the first one down here if you want to join me. There's things in my life that need to be cleansed, need to be taken care of, need to be crucified. An old man that needs to be put on the cross and dealt with. Something that needs to be dunked under the water and forgotten and cleansed and ridded of in my life. Maybe you'd like to come. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank You for this picture of the labor. God, the spiritual truth is so thick in it. God, may we live our lives in saying, am I clean? God, may I never mount this pulpit again without questioning, am I clean? Oh God, may we never enter into Your service. May we never utter a prayer, sing a song, read a scripture without wondering, am I clean? Oh God, cleanse us. Oh God, cleanse us thoroughly through and through, Father. God, we want to be acceptable unto You. We want to give uh, sweet-smelling sacrifices unto You, Father. Untainted, unmixed, Father. Oh God, I pray that You'd help us to rid ourselves of our sin. Rid ourselves of what daily we accumulate in our lives. God, it's part of living here on this planet, on this earth. That is no license to sin by no means. God, it's part of our flesh. It's our nature. We're still in this world. I still have an old man that lives inside of me that fights my spiritual man every day. Oh, God, help us to cleanse ourselves. Come to Your Word. See where we don't measure up. Confess it. Dip it in that water and cleanse us. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. I'm trusting to We hope and pray that today's episode of the Unseen Hand podcast has been a help and blessing to you. For more information such as other podcasts, ministry helps, blog posts, previous sermons, or how to contact Brother Brown directly, just go to RonnieBrown.net. Join us next time for another message from Brother Ronnie on the Unseen Hand podcast. Until then, may God's unseen hand gently guide you on your journey home. The Unseen Hand